welcome to ESPN's The Far Post podcast. Good morning. We are here for a quick fire reaction pod following the Matildas 18-0 win over Indonesia. We've got to keep this pod quick. Half of it's probably going to be taken up just with describing each of the goals, but we're not going to do that. You have access to match highlights and things of that nature. So you know who scored. You know how they scored. We will talk about some of the other things that have happened during this game, including all the little bits and pieces of history that were created. So let's start there. Sam Kerr, the all-time leading Australian goal scorer. Full stop. No gender marking, no caveats, none of that. The all-time leading Australian goal scorer. How bloody good was that, Harrow? So bloody good. And you can tell um, by her celebrations, because obviously there were celebrations for the first couple of goals, how how much it meant. It would have taken a a fair bit of weight off her shoulders, I imagine, because she's been carrying it around since before that those USA games. Like I remember talking to her about it then. So it's been a it's been a little while, but yeah, it was um it was fantastic. It was like <laughs> scores the first one and she's level. And I think the Matilda social media guys made a bit of a joke that they they barely got to do the graphic celebrating her equaling Tim Cahill as the all time leading um, goal scorer and then she scored another one so and she reached 50 and she reached 51 and then she just scored three more because she could um and the great thing was the sort of range of goals showed everything that we know she can do that lovely finish across her body there was sort of the the roving sort of tap ends and then of course the the first penalty she took which was a a lovely one hard across her body into the bottom corner unstoppable more of them please less of the the one into the bar but I do like that she backed herself to to take it again and at one point it got (laughs) got to a level where she was just um I think trying to pick out her teammates um and then a when she didn't have time to think about it she banged in a couple more so it was um yeah just just underlined her quality. I mean, like the, it was against Indonesia, sure, but it was about the moment and it was on pretty much prime time, 9pm, which is what you want. You love to see these milestones completed when everyone gets to look. And for a player who not too many people saw her f- score her first goal as like this precocious teenager, um, she's then obviously gone through so much in terms of injuries and just developed and gone from a winger to a striker to one of the best players in the world. And I don't think you'd find anyone that disagrees that that she deserves these records and I think we're all just very lucky to be able to watch a player like this go about her business and notch up these milestones and just do it in such in such a humble way um and clearly clearly does it you know it's to her it's clearly secondary so no what a player what an athlete and uh very much uh what a trailblazer so yeah, it's a, it's a, you love to see it, Anna, how good Sam Kerr becoming Australia's all-time uh, leading international goal scorer. And there was a nice little graphic that Tim Cahill must have got done up quite a while ago where he's uh, sort of just seeing her off as she goes off in, well, not even to the sunset, just beyond his, equaled his record and went beyond. So fantastic stuff. And it was cool not just for us to watch, it was also really cool for India to watch. She said after the match that she was really proud to have broken that record on the soil of her grandparents. You know, she has Indian heritage and from interviews and conversations that I've had over this week, 
she is being welcomed like a rock star there. She is like messy levels of superstardom for India. And to see a woman of South Asian descent doing something like this is really significant. It's significant for us as Australians, of course, because, you know, at the elite levels of sport, there is such little representation. But to do it over there and in front of all of these people, it's honestly going to, like, even though she plays for Australia, it's going to inspire a generation of girls, you know, to see that they can become the next Sam Kerr. Like Sam Kerr looks like me and I can, I can do that if I, if I work hard and if I'm given opportunities, which I think is amazing. And good on Tim Cahill. You know, he recognises that the mantle has been passed on to, on to Kerr, who is now out and out the goat. And, and what's so bizarre to me is how many people refuse to acknowledge this. It's like, well, what do you, like, I'm pointing to the to the number here, right? 54 goals, 105 games. That's like outside of culture, outside of gender, that's more numbers than 50, right? And so based on that math, she's the best. And I don't, it's just the reaction of a lot of men on Twitter over the last 12 hours has been quite bizarre in just refusing to acknowledge that that's the case as though a woman being better than a man at something is just like out of the realms of possibility. Um, but yeah, no, Tim Cahill's reaction was great. I loved the graphic. I loved, I mean, he probably didn't write the tweet, did he? But I liked the sincerity of it. I liked that he, he seems really engaged in, in that kind of way um, and really respectful, you know, and that's, and I mean, the topic of respect is probably something that we'll come to in a, in a minute, but um, yeah, no, it was, it was great. What an amazing performance. And it wasn't just a, an historic sort of goal scoring moment for Kerr. It was historic for Ivy Lewick as well. Scored her first international goal upon recall from retirement, 36 years old. And what a, what a goal it was. It was probably my favorite of, of the 18 that we scored that delicious backheel volley that she just beautifully clipped in and her reaction, her face just lit up that big smile, all her, fr all her friends and teammates flocked around her to celebrate. It was just, yeah, it was so beautiful. There were so many great things to take from this game. And Sam, how good was it? Um, obviously it's one of the things that highlights maybe the, the gulf in, in quality between these teams, but some of the um, the Indonesia players post-match were getting photos with Sam Kerr. Um, and I imagine there would have been a couple lining up to get her jersey. Maybe that's not the one you hand over the record, <laughs> the record-making one. But, um, yeah, it was uh, yeah just a, a fantastic achievement for Carol Ren. And I love that about Luik. I, I think my brain just went, what? <laughs> I saw her do that back heel volley. So, um, yeah, no, it was it was fantastic. Also, I know that people have opinions on Tim Cahill and I don't have very in-depth opinions on him myself, but I have noticed over the years that he does show up for women's football, which I really appreciate. He was, um, when he was at City, he used to go to the women's games and bring his buddies along and they'd watch the women play, which doesn't, always happen um so yeah and that was a nice thing to see as well um because and it was very much I, I guess the, the tone of it it wasn't like him being like I've done this before and now you are learning or what you know what I mean it was very much one of respect and um of like recognition and yeah and he, he's gotten around Sam Kurt for a long time as well so yeah it was all it was all great 
We also had, you know, as you guys mentioned, Lewick's debut goal. We had Holly McNamara making her full international debut. We had Claire Wheeler, you know, playing out a full 90, which isn't historic, but it's important to this podcast. So it, you know, bears saying in this little section. It was also the Matilda's biggest ever win over an Asian opponent and the third biggest win that the Matildas have had. So, Angela, what else did you kind of like about this performance, whether it be, you know, someone like a Claire Wheeler getting a full game, Holly McNamara getting her debut? What Just what else did you kind of like to see in this? I really like to see the Claire Wheeler que- oh, words in the morning brought to you by Angela. Claire Wheeler, full 90. Um, uh, and I also, I think just that, it's a goal scoring. It was nice. I think a lot of the game, it was sort of like, it was a little bit difficult to watch because we knew it was going to be such a big scoreline, but we, I think it was that context of like, and that was discussed quite a lot after the game of not taking the foot off the pedal. I think that was Chloe Legazzo's words in terms of Tony's coaching style coming into this. And it was a very strong starting 11, but I think it was just nice to see that for, it was the first time in a long time. I mean, we've had all those friendly matches after the Olympics and we're also seeing this starting 11 in the context of like fresh legs, just able to give it a hundred percent. Obviously there are a lot of things to work on. There was some like, stuff that could definitely be improved upon. Oh, also something that I really like to see, Maka getting a start. Um, we had uh, Brecky, it's today, the, the Melbourne Nuffs on this podcast, and there was quite an in-depth chat about Maka. But this is actually one of the kinds of games that you would want her to be getting a full run in terms of um, having to actually switch on for a full 90 where she's probably not doing a whole bunch and then it's those kinds of situations maybe not to the extent where you're winning 18 nil but those games where you're not really doing much Australia has a lot of the ball but there's also there's still going to be an opportunity to concede that's when you she sort of sometimes lets them slip um so having her there that was great to see and just in general seeing her get back into the into the fold I'll be very curious to see um if she will be playing in or if Tony will just do like lids for a group stage Micah for a group stage Micah for a group stage kind of dole them out see how you go um but yeah I don't know it was just it was nice to see like a team that we know and love play together and have fun with their football and for the most part click quite a lot and like I said there's things to work on but you want to see those things that you need to work on in a game where it potentially isn't going to destroy your entire life you know what I mean so um I don't know does that make sense and yeah I know that there was um thoughts and feelings um about the the starting 11 and the subs and that sort of thing so we can probably get into that but Harrow what did what did you like Aside from Sam Kerr. I really, I really liked, I think it's worded quite well here by either Marissa or yourself, Angela. Chloe Legazzo on the coverage saying, we're not the most clinical team, so dunking on the 94th ranked side in the world isn't the worst for our confidence. I think that's pretty accurate. Like, I think we forget this is a team that hasn't really felt like it's hit its straps a whole lot, especially uh, we know they've been playing against very good opposition. They've been opened up defensively, so a clean sheet was important. One very nervous moment for me was when Mackenzie Arnold came off her line once and a better finisher would have just dinked it. Macker, if you're coming out, please claim it. But otherwise, it was pretty pretty assured, right? Um, 
it, 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 you can still sense there's still work to be done. I felt uh, at one point in the second half, I was like, we've got to have been offside 20 times. It was nine. But anyway, at that point, it, it feels like there was still a lot to work through. But it was good to see, it was good to see them put away a team, be ruthless. Um, we know a lot of players haven't had, there's some players in there that haven't played football for a while. Claire Wheeler's one of them, and she just got better and better, I thought, as the game went on playing in that six. It was really it was really exciting to see. She was taking players on. She was um, really, really going for it. It was, it was good to see. I, I, I thought it was nice to see some of the combinations come through. It was seeing players like Van Egmond, um, Ellie Carpenter hadn't been on the score, but only once in her career, right? It had been a while, a long time between drinks. So it was just a few of those players just knocking over a few of those little hurdles. And yeah, it was, it, I think they'd probably still have wanted more goals, to be honest. It was, it was pretty ruthless. So yeah, Sam, I, I, I thought it was, they did what they needed to do in that sense, because there was that weird patch in the first half where I thought I was on another planet because Alana Kennedy went up top for a bit, but then after halftime, they sort of resettled and, Maybe Indonesia tried to attack a bit more, but it obviously opens you up a little bit more. And I thought, as a general rule, bar say the Kerr penalty miss and a couple of other moments, I think Sammy had a moment in the first half too that it was actually offside, but she could have buried. But yeah, it, it felt like what they needed to do. They needed to come out and have a have a statement um, statement win. It was very reminiscent of I think the comparison throughout was the USA v Thailand at the the twenty nineteen. Um, World Cup where they just came out and steamrolled a team. Don't think our celebrations were quite so coordinated, but it felt like that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to make a statement, keep the foot down, and that's what they did. And credit to Indonesia, to be honest. Like, I thought their goalkeeper in particular was incredibly brave. She did a lot and she worked really hard. And so did the second goalkeeper who came on in the second half after the first one went off after copying, I think, nine goals, which... Don't blame her. You know that's that's it's a lot to to take in, particularly for such a young a young player and a young side. Um, and Indonesia, like they had chances. You know, like there was that chance in the first half where uh, the forward nipped in behind Kennedy and Polkinghorn and was one on one with Arnold. It's just that her shot was too tame and it went straight at her. And then in the second half, when, again, Angela, when uh, when Maka came flying, did anyone else have flashbacks to Thailand 2018 semi-final in that moment? I felt like I had PTSD because I was like, I've seen this. I've seen exactly this thing. It's going to happen again. Arnold's come out. She's not going to get the ball. She's going to be chipped. Oh, my God, this is going to be the only thing we talk about for the rest of her career. Um, but it, it didn't happen. The ball went far post, or outside the near post. Um, but that was after some like some good build-up from Indonesia's players, some good passing and a, a beautiful little dink over the top of our defenders to, to find that on rushing forward. So, like, they're not terrible. It's just that we were obviously a class above them. And like the game against the USA and Thailand in the World Cup, it just highlights the many, many advantages that Australia has structurally when it comes to producing international level footballers. And like Indonesia haven't played in this tournament for over 30 years. None of the players in the squad were alive the last time Indonesia qualified for this tournament. Whereas Australia have been a big dog for a long time. Like I don't think even though 18 nil, yeah, it's historic and it's a lot and, you know, we can debate the ethics of it. I don't think anyone's surprised 
that this is what we posted against the lowest ranked side in the competition. They're ranked 94. You know, we're 83 places above them and we've been there for a long time. So I think this was, it was a, it was an, it was an, an expected kind of ruthlessness, I think, particularly in the context of what Gustafsson wants from his players in performance mode. And that was obviously a big talking point coming into this, whether the the preparation would translate actually into performances on the pitch. Seems like it's translated, translated pretty well. Um, and he said in the post-game uh, presser afterwards as well that it was very much about confidence and it was about chemistry. It was about refining those combinations because these players, don't forget, they don't get a lot of time together. Like their pre-tournament camp in Dubai was a week long. They don't really get that much time to just train and gel in international windows and then all of a sudden they're thrust into a tournament where they need to find results. So games like this are important for refinding those combinations and reintroducing players to the fold. As you say, Harrow, who haven't played for a while, they need to get back up to speed. They need to be reminded of the, the different combinations that they can create with other players on the field. Like when else are you going to do that? The only other opportunity they had was in Dubai, but they couldn't organise a friendly against any other nations there. So they had to do an intermatch scrimmage, like an inter-squad scrimmage with each other. You know, there's only so much that you can do in moments like that. So I don't, I don't blame them for doing what they did. I think it was necessary. Before we get fully into, I think the, the big chat, as you said, Marissa, was about um, the starting 11 and then the subs and maybe not using young players so much. I would like to just chuck something in there. Um, and Sam, I'm interested in your reaction to this. USA squad, we know that Tony Gustafson was an assistant at the 2019 World Cup of 2015. United States squad against Thailand, uh, Alyssa Nair, Kelly O'Hara, Abby Dahlkemper, um, Juliet, Crystal Dunn, Roosevelt, Sam Mewis, Lindsay Horan, Tobin Heath, Alex Morgan, Megan Rapino. Substitutes that came on. This is before you could have five subs, obviously. Carly Lloyd, Kristen Press, and Mallory Pugh for the last 21 minutes. Pretty, pretty close to the same squad that they used in the final. I think it might actually be exactly the same one. So you can see where the playbooks come from. It's strong line up first, didn't take the foot off the pedal, and they actually turned to experienced substitutes. So I just found that very interesting. Um, first game of a tournament, you got two group stage match coming matches coming up against probably stronger opponents and gone with a really strong and experienced one. I just I found the the con the sorry the parallels there very interesting. When I was going back and looking at this um, last night, it's, it's been done before. You're picking a a strong team first up, as you say, Sam, getting the those combinations working again, just showing that you can be ruthless and get off to a tournament on the strongest possible strongest possible start. Put your best foot forward. That. That seemed to me the intent and that seemed to be what they did. Angela, I, I, I'm interested to hear your thoughts because I think we are going to go into a little bit of maybe what people weren't so happy with from last night um, around the squad. I just uh, interest, thinking about the bigger reaction to that, like it all makes sense. It's like big, tournament football, like you said, Harry, there's so many parallels there. But the I'm just like it was never really questioned in the American fan camps because it they like we love to win and we we will win and we will do everything to win even if it's against Thailand like I think that's um one of the big things that sometimes rubs people the wrong way myself included about like um how they 
celebrate their team sometimes is that, but that mentality is so powerful and it gets them places. And so I do wonder as like just thinking through the differences in our sporting cultures where in Australia we're perhaps not entirely on board with that. And also I think the context around what's really intriguing around the discussion, so we're referring to like the post-game 10 football discussion with um, GYD, Chloe Legazzo, Grace Gill. Um, Like I think that's informed by our past year of football as well where we've become accustomed to seeing the kids being put on and I'm thinking if this had been um, last Asian Cup or the Asian Cup before that, would we have the same expectations as Tony sort of um, built that expectation now that he will put on the kids at every possible opportunity because we've seen him do it so much. Um, I've sort of my opinion swayed a little bit across the game, but um, yeah, just what I was saying there is like the difference in cultures, like it wasn't wholly embraced by Australian fans because but I, we also like to win, but we seem to want to do it in like a more subtle way, like a more taught, like, I don't know, underdog way, which is like, I don't, I don't always understand that either. But Sam. Yeah, it's a really interesting point, isn't it? Because like we love to win as Aussies, but in some circumstances, we don't like to win too much. We don't like to smash. We like to win. We like to defeat, but we don't like to destroy, which is strange and I think about uh, other sports and I think about men's sport and I ask myself is it the same there we just saw Australia absolutely demolish England in the ashes and everyone seems to be really like loving that and reveling in in those results but here it doesn't really feel the same and perhaps that is because of the gulf between the two sides like you would expect Australia and England in the cricket to be quite competitive considering their history and considering the resources they have access to, considering the structures that are built around them to ensure that they're successful. Whereas here, it's obvious that that's not the case. Australia have so many, so many more advantages in so many ways than what Indonesia does. And like the commentators throughout the game reminded us of that, that there's just one player in Indonesia's squad who plays outside the country and Indonesia don't even have a first-tier women's competition that's running at the moment. They introduced a new one in 2019, but it was scuppered because of COVID. So these players haven't been playing, you know, and outside of that, what kind of investment, what kind of camps, what kind of facilities do these national team players actually have internally in Indonesia? Are they suitable for the kinds of tournaments like this where they need to perform at the highest level? Are they playing in friendly matches? Are they playing in other continental competitions to ready them for this outside of qualifiers? No, you know, like there there are so many different ways in which Australia was already primed for a result like this, whether it's down to the pre-tournament preparation, whether it's down to club football, whether it's down to the fact that our players are fully professional and they're paid to play year round, You know, all of these things fold into why we see results like this. And my hope is that we'll see a very similar discussion off the back of what happened against the USA and Thailand. Because remember that moment when, uh, well, it was actually after the game against Sweden because that's when Thailand scored that goal against Sweden, their first goal against a European opponent. And there was that clip of the manager, the woman in the white jacket, 
who burst into tears because she was their sole financier as well as being their team manager. And she employed a bunch of the players um, outside of a football context to ensure that they had a schedule that allowed them to to train and and to eat and to work and to you know do all those kinds of things around their football. And after the World Cup, there was that big discussion about resourcing, about facilities, about how FIFA and the AFC and other footballing bodies contribute to and should contribute to in different kinds of ways the development of emerging and second tier nations in various confederations. So I'm hoping that that is going to be the silver lining to all of this, um, that a result like this, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't happen. And now the next step is, okay, how do we make sure it doesn't happen again? I think the big talking point and Angela hinted at it earlier was around the squad selection, which we've kind of touched on and the substitutes that we used and Sam I saw you were you were reasonably strong on this on Twitter post-match but especially we saw the reaction from um the Channel 10 commentary team post-match or the analysis team mentioned before obviously Chloe Legazzo was there Georgie Omendahl and who very much I think drove this discussion and and Grace Gill around um it was interesting actually I, I thought it was a bit of a shame that they didn't first um I know they touched on it at half time but there wasn't a bit of initial Sam Kerr's just done this and a couple of other things first but it was very interesting and I thought the sort of discussion that is good to have um, from commentary teams post-match rather than just ex-players just being like how good's everything or but it sort of almost leaned the other way in that it was quite it was quite negative and the a lot of the framing was around is this a missed opportunity or this is the miss this was a missed opportunity because we didn't see so many young players tested out um especially after being nine nil up at half time and Sam I know you're in the press conference with um with Tony and from all accounts he very much laid out why they why t- they took this approach in terms of we know load management is a big thing um cohesiveness we've mentioned earlier in this pod getting these players back playing together I think people forget that to make yell for example spent a week in MIQ in New Zealand and then has been back in New Zealand with their family for a bit, so not playing. Claire Wheeler's season in Denmark has has finished, and they only had a very very short pre camp um, in Dubai, then a very small amount of time in Mumbai. So they're still, I guess, acclimatizing to the conditions they're playing all three of these group matches in. I think there's a few things there, but how did you feel generally, um, Sam? I'm really interested in your thoughts on this. On we saw Holly McNamara come on, but should we have seen more of a I don't know a, a Courtney Vine? We saw. We did see Mary Fowler play a half, Courtney Nevin play a half. Like there was a bit of a mix, but did we want to see more? Should we have seen more? And um, was was Ivy Lurk, for example, coming on the answer? I think a few of these things are what's been bubbling around in, in the discourse post-match. Yeah, I mean, it's not like we didn't see young players in the team. Outside of Holly McNamara getting her debut, we saw Courtney Nevin. We saw Claire Wheeler start. You know, that's three players who were only, I guess, uncovered post-Olympics in the last five months. So, like, it's, it's I, I find the, the really pointed criticism that it's a missed opportunity a little bit um, misdirected because I don't think it was. I think he gave out the opportunities to the players who, as he said post-match, deserved it. They're the ones who put their hand up in the Dubai training camp. They're the ones who have impressed and they're the ones who he felt 
needed to use what this game offered them in order to lay down certain foundations for selection over the next couple of weeks. So I don't blame him at all. And as I said earlier, he said that uh, cohesion and getting some players back up to physical speed was also quite important, acclimatising to the conditions in Mumbai, which are very, very hot from everything that I know. They played in an afternoon as well. So it was probably, you know, north of 30 degrees. And most of these players have come from a European winter. They're going to have to get used to this kind of stuff pretty quickly. And considering the short format of this tournament and the goes for two weeks, they need to get up to speed real quick if they're going to reach the pointy end and still have enough fuel in the tank to be able to deliver when it really matters and when they're actually going to need to play some serious opponents. So when you take everything into consideration, I don't blame him for making the changes that he did. Um, I'm glad that he brought on Ivy Lewick because otherwise we wouldn't have gotten that lovely moment where she scored that cracking goal. Um, And it was also important to reintegrate her into the team as well, because a lot of the players probably thought once she retired after Tokyo, well, that's it. All right, let's think about football without Ivy now. But you need to like retrain yourself to to have a, a player of that quality and with those qualities back around you and what that means for you and your decision-making. So, I mean, <clears throat> presumably in the game against the Philippines, who we should talk about because they defeated Thailand in the second game last night in the closing stages, and it was a pretty significant moment. Um, you'd, you'd expect that Gustafsson is going to do have a similar kind of approach. He's going to probably start with a core group of more experienced players, and then two or three of them will be part of this younger group who he's bringing through. I would expect a Courtney Vine to be given a go. I think she'll do particularly well against the Philippines. Um, I'd like to see Claire Wheeler back at some point. Maybe she won't play the full match. Maybe she'll only get the sort of the last half hour, say, against the Philippines, and you'll see more of a Lewick or maybe even a Kara Cooney Cross brought on to start in that more defensive midfield position. But again, like this is about rotation. It's about freshness. It's about combinations. And it's also about preparation. You know, he's trying to juggle two things at once here, remember. It's not just trying to get results in this tournament. If he wanted to just get results in this tournament, we wouldn't have seen McNamara come on. We wouldn't have seen Nevin come on. We probably wouldn't have seen Claire Wheeler starting. He would have just played his strongest possible squad from the very beginning. But he didn't because he's got an eye not just on the end of this tournament, but on 2023 as well. So I think credit needs to go to him for finding that balance. Sam, I can't believe you're not thinking Claire Wheeler's in the strongest team because I think right now we look at her best when she was in in there and um, Emily Van Egmond gets to play her up the field because I think Van Eggs is a, a joy to watch when she's further up and she just creates goals for Sam Kerr. One of the goals she scored herself sort of on the run where she just finished it um, Wonderfully. It reminded me, do you remember that um, Melbourne victory men's game a few years ago where James Troese got the ball and then he just didn't hit the shot and it just like trickled off into the middle of nowhere? It reminded me that except Emily Van Egmond did exactly what you should do and just nailed it. Um, it was it was a lovely goal. But yeah, and I think it's important. I agree with you there, Sam. And I think it's important to maybe wait until we see what happens with the Philippines game, because I'm sure players would have been on certain um, loads, like in terms of X amount of minutes this game, X amount of minutes across three games. Um, I'm willing to sort of hold fire a little bit. I think that game was the one, if you want to throw players in and see what they can do, I, I would have maybe liked to have seen a one. Maybe they've got plans for her to come in against the Philippines or against Thailand where they go 
she seems like the player that can really break down deep lying defenses, which maybe we might anticipate a little bit more in one of these games. It's, I think there's going to be roles for certain players throughout. And it is about getting that balance right because you don't want to use all the petrol tickets in the group stage and then be gassed come the the semis or the, the knockout stages when it actually does matter if they want to win the tournament. So I imagine we are going to see some, some rotation and it's probably worth noting as well, it's a tight turnaround to the Philippines game. Like it's only... Um, well, it's Monday night, so Friday to Monday, and then you get that extra day, obviously, um, you get all that extra bit of time maybe between that and the, the Thailand game. So it's, it is going to be, a, yeah, an interesting balance for them to strike. I think, yeah, it's, it's a difficult one because you, you want to see players given a chance and, you know, you like seeing players like Remy Seamson, Courtney Vine in particular, I think the ones we want to see. I thought McNamara provided heaps off the bench and a bit unlucky not to have a goal. That's maybe something that's popped up in her A-League women form as well, getting in the right places, but not quite able to finish. And I thought Nevin provided a heap when she came on. There are a couple of um, deliveries she put in, one for uh, the goal where she whipped in that lovely delivery and Kerr headed it on and then there was a second header. Um, and she just she looked really impressive, I thought. But, yeah, it's um, I'm kind of – hesitant to to go all in on it it's a missed opportunity to to blood youth because I think it's it's a difficult balance to strike and I'd rather sort of reserve my judgment on it until we've seen how this group stage plays out because if yeah if we see the same 11 roll out and we don't see much in terms of players getting rested and then our players look gassed come the come the knockouts of course we're going to go what were you doing? But if they manage to strike the balance well and we see some of these players who have earned opportunities, and I think it's, it's worth touching on, let's not forget, players like Mary Fowler and Courtney Nevin are young and so is Holly McNamara, then, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit of striking the balance. Angela, how did you see it? I think you guys have covered it really well. I think, like, you know, things like rotation, balance, that's really important. Because I was thinking, I was like, if we put more kids on, because again, taking into account in my mind, Mary Fowler, Claire Wheeler, they are they are children. Someone I was watching with friends and they're like, guess the age of the children. And they're like, how old is Mary Fowler? And I was like, 20. And they're like, 18. I was like, that's right. She is a she is a literal child. Um, when you take that into account, it's also like you have to put kids on with the right balance of experience. You can't just be like, put on all the children, fly my pretties, off you go. Like that's not gonna achieve anything even if they were of a quality where they could beat Indonesia. You know what I mean? So I, I think, yeah, I think it was um, upon reflection and much not much thinking actually, to be honest, um, I think it was like, yeah, all the right choices. Um, and, but, yeah, like hearty debate, it's always good. I think we need more of it in the women's game. So um, I'm not against the discussion being had either. I agree. I, I do think that is a real positive that, the those on the panel so obviously Georgia Grace and Chloe who I think it's a difficult position when you are a current Matilda as as well um you know like the the one active um Matilda's player on the on the panel I I do think it was good that they were enabled to have this sort of honest discussion and not just be limited to how good you know like we we scored goals how good we thrash a team prime time Matilda's yeah how good I think it's good that you have these people or these women on the panel and it's fantastic. It was a, obviously a women-dominated panel full of people with sharp football minds who 
understand and have maybe been in the shoes of some of these players, whether it's maybe a um, friend of the pot, um, Matt Coleman actually tweeted about this. If you're maybe Georgia Yeomandale and you've seen other players get an opportunity before you, you, you can sort of feel in that headspace. Um, or obviously Chloe is a current player. I'm just glad they were enabled to, to be honest and to actually go for it and actually scrutinize and analyze these decisions. It, we don't have to agree with them. Um, and I don't, and looking at the reaction on Twitter, I, I feel like there has been a divide. There's been, this is bang on, that subs should have been used for young players. Why are we doing this? And there's people going, it's tournament football. You've got to manage your squad and you've got to build cohesion and you've got to, to test these different things. Out. And I think both of those points are valid and maybe the right balance is somewhere in the middle. Maybe we should have seen more, it would have been good to see more of maybe some of these young players. But as I said, I kind of want to reserve a little bit of judgment for if they've got a plan for a Courtney Vine. If, if we don't see some of these young players at all in the group stage, I think people will be very, very, one more, very entitled to question the decision-making there because these are crunch tournament matches and this is where you get your experience. And if we don't see these players get tested, I think people are very entitled to say, why the hell not? Why did you bring them? After one game, I think there is room to give a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. Um, but I, I do just want to stress that I appreciate that these, these um, people on the panel have been given the opportunity to actually go hard. It's, it's good to see. It's refreshing. So um, even though I felt there could have been some more maybe positivity initially coming out of, the, out of full time, given the record-breaking moment and those sorts of things, it is refreshing to have these sorts of serious discussions that, that make us think a little bit. And what a nice thing to see online as well. Like in amongst the random Tim Cahill fans, I did love seeing that there was so much, and I noted this on Twitter as well, so much genuine engagement with some of the questions and some of the issues that this game highlighted. And one of them I sort of asked during the match, should results like this prompt a reconsideration of formats of tournament football of football so that we don't really see such uneven matchups like this and I was pretty well argued out of the room and credit to everyone who addressed it seriously including friend of the pod um, Benito because like number one what else can you do what other kinds of formats can you introduce to ensure that things are more fair but number two like the, the Asian Cup has been expanded to 12 teams. Next year's Women's World Cup has been expanded to 32. We'll probably see blowouts in that tournament as well as a result of the gulf that continues to grow between first and second tier nations. But as we saw with Thailand, they got crushed a couple of years ago and then they came back and performed quite well against Sweden and they continued to improve. So there are ways in which blowouts and big whoppings like this can turn into improvements in the long run for these emerging nations. And for some of them, like in Iran, for example, this is the biggest tournament that they've ever played. This is their debut, you know, like they're not going to be good. Of course not. But hopefully this is going to be the start of them getting better. And what other ways are there in which you can do that? So I think that's very valid. Well said, Sam. Another thing, just because while we're on Friend of the Pod, Benito, I thought he made a very valid point that maybe has been overlooked with a lot of the discourse 
which is um, who knows when and how COVID might rip through a squad and you don't know what team you can put out. We've already seen five teams in the tournament have to deal with COVID cases in their in their squads. So Besk said if you can get the goal difference and the confidence in early, that's a that's a winner too. So it is an interesting thing and it's a unique thing we deal with in these times where you have to be prepared for maybe some players are going to be un, unavailable. We see it in the A-League's competition here where all of a sudden... I don't know, Alex Chidiak can't play for Melbourne Victory, right? Like, it's 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 like that. Or um, Grace Ma misses for Canberra. So I think it's a worthy thing to to take note of. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it's we've talked about a lot of really good things and I would just say don't let anyone tell you that there's no debate in Australian football. There's plenty of debate in Australian football and I think last night was a, an example of actual good, constructive, fruitful debate but let's look ahead a little bit we've spoken or alluded to it a bit our next game the Philippines Monday night 9 p.m Australian Eastern Daylight Time kickoff Sam you did mention it a little bit they got a win over Thailand 1-0 what can we kind of expect from them based on that first up game yeah look the game uh, between the Philippines and Thailand last night was actually quite good Um, And that sounds very condescending, I know, but in the context of this larger conversation, there are larger assumptions that come into play when you look at world rankings of teams, for example. Philippines are in the 60s. Uh, Thailand is, I think, maybe in the 30s, uh, maybe a little bit higher. Um, And so by virtue of that, you sort of assume that the quality of play is not going to be as great. And coming off the back of that Indonesia game, you're like, well, my, 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 um, my, standard for play is quite skewed uh, just by recency bias. But the game was very even. Um, they both sides have a number of very good players, very technical players. And the thing that impressed me most about the Philippines um, was how cohesive they were as a unit. They were very solid. And it's credit to Alan Stagic because he's obviously done a lot of work with these players and has also done, when it comes to resourcing, has also clearly done a lot of scouting because a a number of these players have come from the US college system. They have Filipino heritage and they've been called into this international squad, some for the first time, and have been working together in a California training camp for the last couple of weeks. And they seem to really have clicked and they've got something. They've got a number of very good quality individual players, but they also work really well as a team. So coming up against a team like Thailand, who you probably would have expected to sort of put a couple past the Philippines, um, it was it was a very even match. The Philippines ended up getting their goal through uh, pretty scrappy circumstances. There was a, a long shot taken by um, one of the two McDaniel sisters who play on the team. Uh, this one is the outfielder. She took a, a very speculative long shot and unfortunately the Thai goalkeeper somehow just like slapped it into her net she just didn't like it bounced in front of her and she just didn't control it and I think she almost nutmegged herself as well which is kind of worse and it it, and yeah it sort of just trickled into the into the back of the net um so outside of that sort of moment of horror you'd probably expect both teams to have gone in to full time with the draw and earning a point each um but I think the Philippines were um they were very good they didn't give up and I think we need to be a little bit more wary of them than what we were. Like the controlling narrative coming into this second group game, obviously, is going to be scorned former head coach, Alan Stagic, can he get revenge on the Matildas, blah, blah. 
but actually like let's focus on the players let's focus on this team because this philippine side they're quite good and they have a number of players who are coming from a very good sort of structure in the u.s college system um and they have a, a pretty big future as well they're quite young they haven't appeared in the asian cup for a while but from everything that they displayed against Thailand, they're going to be sticking around for a little bit longer. I think we we were all excited for this game, particularly after the result last night. But now knowing what the Philippines might offer, I think it's exactly the kind of team that Tony Gustafson talked about during a lot of the lead up to this Asian Cup, a, a staunch defence, a tightly packed defence. And hopefully this is where we'll see some of those players that get to show off their 1v1 and their dribbling and those kind of attacking features. Are you saying it's fine time? I would say I am saying it is fine time. Time to get the old the grape emoji and the clock emoji out uh, for the old vine time. Um, but, yes, obviously that's game one of this Asian Cup done and dusted. We will obviously talk to you for game two. The Philippines, like I said, Monday night, 9pm Australian Eastern Daylight kickoff. You can find it on Channel 10 or 10 Play if you are into streaming. You will be able to read some of our reactions. I assume Sam is doing some writing for ABC. I'll be doing some stuff for ESPN. So you can check out all those things. We will share them on social media. You can listen to us on ESPN.com.au and the ESPN app, as well as Spotify, Apple and Google. Leave a review if you like what we've done. Chat to us at the Far Post Pod on all social medias. But Go Tillies, we'll see you next week after the Philippines game.